It's great to see you all. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. If you've got your um, Bible um, or Version Bible app, you can turn to um, two places, Philippians chapter 1. Um, we're kicking off our new series. Um, seems very dark. Um, Philippians, there we go. Uh, Philippians, I was like, normally I can't see y'all because of the lights, um, but I could see you. Y'all look so good. Um, Philippians chapter 1, uh, we're kicking off this new series, um, Unhindered, and it's going to be through the book of Philippians, but also um, Acts chapter 16. We're going to spend some time there because uh, that helps set, set us up um, for Philippians and for what, where we're going to be over the next 14 weeks or so, uh, maybe, maybe a little less, maybe right there at 14 weeks. And so um, as normal, uh, we've got some announcements we'll share at the end of service, kind of changing some things up, trying some things new. And so uh, stay tuned after the last song. We've got some important things coming up. So Philippians chapter one, I'm in the CSB. If you have your version Bible app, so you follow along word for word. It's also in the outline we hand out and on the screen. If you're joining us online, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, every church, no matter how old it is or how young it is. In fact, I worked at a church in town doing web uh, design and publications for them that was 200 years old. And then I planted this church, which is 13 years old. And so it doesn't matter how old or how young a church is, it had to be planted. It had to be started by someone. Planting churches, if you've ever heard the terminology, maybe you've never heard the terminology. In fact, when I was sharing with people that I was starting a church, they're like, how do you do that? You can start a church? Well, every church had to be started um, by someone at some point. And planting churches is um, the most effective way to grow the body of Christ, which is what we're called to do in Scripture. In fact, church planting is seen in Scripture. It's mandated scripturally. It was modeled by the uh, early apostles um, and disciples as well. It is the best way to fulfill the Great Commission um, in which we are all called and commissioned as follower, followers of Jesus um, to be a part of and to do, to fulfill. Um, Jesus told us in Scripture that he would build his church, but then he used apostles like Paul and um, like Peter and their disciples like um, Timothy and Epaphras, um, who helped start the church at Colossae, uh, to go to various places like um, Philippi, to start new um, ecclesias. Maybe you've heard that word before. That word ecclesia means gatherings or assemblies of Christians. And so they go and start these ecclesias, these assemblies of Christians, so they could worship and be on mission together, so they could share life with one another. Um, so now, as we uh, begin in Philippians chapter 1, we see that Philippians is one of those churches. If you go look at Acts 16, which we will, um, and if you look at the scriptures, you will see that Paul and Timothy helped start this church at Philippi. And so this is one of those ecclesias, one of the assemblies or gatherings of people that we see in scripture. And so it tells us in the first three verses, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can write this down as we dive into this. Church planting matters because people matter. Church planting matters because people matter. The book of Philippians is actually a letter written by Paul to, as he says here, he's accompanied by Timothy. And as he, it says in the scripture, he's sending it to all the saints 
in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, which are the pastors, the elders, according to Scripture. That's what an overseer, um, that, that means overseer, um, and the deacons. So it's sent to the people, to the congregation, essentially, the, the believers in Jesus Christ. Those are considered saints. And then it's also sent to the church leaders. That's who he's writing to in this moment. And this intro highlights the very reason why the church is important. In fact, the North American Mission Board, known as NAM, N-A-M-B, um, says this, farming matters because food matters. Um, you know, you don't just go to the grocery store. I know actually on some of those man-on-the-street uh, kind of interviews, you will get certain people who will say that. They actually believe food comes from the grocery store. We know better than that. Food comes from farming. Food comes from, um, you know, what farmers do in growing the food and uh, making that happen. And so farming is important because food is important. Hospitals matter because people matter. It helps heal and helps people in their time of need. Church planting matters because the church matters. The church matters because it's God's idea. And he established Jesus as the head of the church. We see that in the New Testament. We see that in Scripture. He rules over this assembly of believers that we call the church. Yes, there's leaders, and yes, there are those who are called to execute the mission, um, including every believer in the, the local church, but Christ is the head. He is the leader. He is the authority. He is king. And so the church matters. It's God's idea. Uh, the church matters because of our salvation. It matters for our salvation. Um, many of you have come to faith because you were invited to church or someone who belonged to the church went to you and shared the gospel. And so the church, not the building, but the gathering of people, the assembly, the ecclesia is important for our salvation. It's also important for our spiritual growth. We're called not to just make disciples through evangelism, while that is important, but to teach them to all that uh, Christ had commanded. We're called to make disciples, make disciples who make disciples. So the church is important for our discipleship. The older are to teach the younger. That This is the, the gathering by which we grow in God's word. It's important for our spiritual accountability. And we're living in a time and in a generation that we do not like that word. But in Scripture, we see it all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament church, that there should be accountability within the church. That there should be accountability, but oftentimes we don't want to be held accountable to the truth of God's word. What we want is what we want. We, it, it's all back in Genesis. We want to be like God. We want to make the decisions for ourselves. We want to determine what's right and what's wrong or what's acceptable. We don't want to be held accountable. And so what we often see is when accountability kicks in, people want to kind of jet and run. They, they want to avoid that because they want what they want. The church matters for our accountability. It matters for our spiritual growth so we know what's right and true, what is factual and not error. We also, uh, it's important, it matters for our mutual service. In fact, the scripture tells us in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together um, as the time of Jesus' return nears because times would get more difficult and we are there to encourage one another, to serve one another. So, so we don't need to... Uh, forsake this assembling, this ecclesia, because it's important for us as the days grow worse and worse. 
as it becomes more evil. We need to encourage one another. We need to serve one another, not just come into a place um, looking to be served, but to serve and to care for other people. And then it matters because it's family. We're, we're the children of God. We, we are um, adopted, we are bought, and we are brought into this family and it's not just like a, a distant family, but even Jesus said that his brothers and his sisters weren't just the flesh and blood, but it were those who believed. It was the, 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 the faith family. And so some of you don't have a blood family that you can rely on, that, you can, that loves you, or maybe they abandon you, but yet God has given you a spiritual family, a faith family in the ecclesia, the gathering, the, the believers that have, he has brought together into one family. And so God intends for the church to expand everywhere there are people. And just like he used Paul and Timothy to start the church at uh, Philippi, today he uses churches and church planters and Christians to begin new works, to plant new churches. We plant new churches because people matter, their souls matter, and people need the church. I planned a new passion in 2009 because this area, and we started in the city of Grovetown, so we're actually a ways from where we started. But at the time, um, Grovetown needed a new ecclesia. It needed a new church, a new gathering of believers. But in the days since, since 2009, many churches have started there, churches that had the resources to buy property or to renovate buildings, and they're doing great works. And then God allowed us to move to where we're at um, because he sees fit for us to be here. But at the time, just as now, there were uh, people in our area, there were unreached people who needed the gospel. Uh, last year, we got to send out a group to plant Anchor Church because there are unreached people in our local area and they planted in Evans. In fact, last week they celebrated their first birthday. Um, we, God has allowed us to merge with three different churches because we don't, because the church matters. We don't want to see churches close their doors. And so um, in that, we've been able to determine that we are better and stronger together for the sake of the gospel. And so we have a campus right now in North Augusta that there's a church meeting in it right now using that facility, a gospel-centered, gospel-preaching church um, because the church matters. The gospel matters. Why? Because there's unreached people who don't know Jesus. It's still our desire one day to have a, 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 a campus there, New Passion Church there, to plant a new church there. Why? Because there are more unreached people in our local area, and there will continue to be because more and more are moving into the area. And that is why the church at Philippi needed to be started. In fact, Acts 16 verses 11 through 34 introduces us to three different people who represent really three types of people, three different types of people that God saved in order to start that church. So when you see in the passage of scripture where um, uh, Paul is writing to this group, you get an idea, you kind of can put a face to a name or at least a type of people that God saved in order to start this new work in Philippi, to start this church. You kind of get an understanding of the diverse group of people that Paul is writing to. Because of time, I'm not going to look at all three of the people that's written there and talked about in verses 11 through 34, but I do want to look at one because I believe that she gives us a good picture of what's taking place in this church as it's beginning. So Acts 16, 11 through 15 says this, 
from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for, I'm sorry, I will not pronounce that right, Samothras, maybe, um, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Philippi was a leading city, the scripture tells us, in Macedonia, meaning it was most likely the capital city, which capitals in this time um, were very important because they were very, they were in, um, kind of uh, influential hubs of influence throughout the other colonies and towns and cities. So things started there and then they spread from these uh, capital cities into the smaller towns and into the um, uh, smaller uh, villages. And so there's no synagogue or temple here. And so Paul and Timothy, after a few days, they leave the city and the Bible says as they exit the gate, there's a place of prayer that, that they expected to find near the river. And so this is where um, they would gather to pray. And at this moment, there's a group of women who are here praying. And so they sit down and they begin to converse with one of these ladies. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us who this lady is. It doesn't say that she came to faith, but it does say as they're talking to a lady, a God-fearing woman named Lydia is listening in. So she's listening to what they have to say. She's listening while another woman's being spoken to. She's tuning in. And this is what verse 14 tells us happens. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Now, there's two important things here. One, Lydia is religious. The Bible tells us she's a God-fearing woman, but she isn't a Christian. Just because someone is religious or they're spiritual or maybe they're God-fearing, there are many people who you might encounter and talk to who will say, oh, I believe in God, or they have some uh, sense of spirituality about them does not mean that they are a Christ follower. It does not mean that they are a Christian. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not being God-fearing, not being religious, not being spiritual, but it is through Jesus and Him alone that He is the way to the Father. It requires faith that follows Jesus to save. And this is why the apostles are going around planting churches and proclaiming the gospel. Because there's many people, Judaizers, and there's many people who follow after the um, uh, the, the Mosaic law who needed to know that the Messiah has come, that he provided the means and the way of salvation. They might have been God-fearing as Lydia was in her religion that she was brought up under, but Ju Judaism doesn't save you. The Mosaic law does not save you. So while you might be God-fearing, you still have to come to a faith in the fact that he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross to pay that payment for your sin. And so the gospel is the power unto salvation. The message, that good news of what Christ has done 
is the power unto salvation. And it is the power here that they are preaching, they're proclaiming, they're just having a conversation. They're not standing behind a pulpit. The Bible says they sat down and was having a conversation. You don't have to be a preacher to proclaim the gospel. You don't have to be a church leader to proclaim the gospel. You can have a conversation with those at your workplace. You can have a conversation with who you go to school with. It's the power, it's, it's the gospel that is the power into salvation. And so if we desire to see lives transformed, we desire to see this city reached for Jesus, we know that people's lives are broken and they're caught up in addiction, they're caught up in some kind of sin, and we know that they need the life-changing, life-transforming power of Jesus in their life, it starts with being willing to proclaim the gospel. Because that is what brought even this God-fearing woman who could have said, oh, I know God, I, I fear God, I follow the law, but she tuned in to the good news, and that is what the Bible says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to it. And that leads us to the second thing. Paul and Timothy were faithful to share the gospel, but they were not responsible for the results. In the same way, you are responsible for sharing the gospel. You, that, that's your, our calling, but you're not responsible for the results. The scripture says that the Lord opened her heart. Your responsibility is to share the good news. My responsibility is to share the good news of Jesus, to share the gospel, to have those conversations. But it's not my responsibility to bring about the results. And so if I'm results-oriented, and I'm just looking for numbers, I might be disappointed because there might be like this lady who they're encountering who maybe is tuning me out. They, they may turn me down. But then again, there could be a Lydia listening. There could be one who is tuning in, and it's through the power of the gospel that God opens their heart to be able to receive what's being spoken. But if we don't share it, then the Bible says, how will they know? How will they be able to call on the name of Jesus in whom they've not believed, because they don't know who he is. They don't know his name. And so we have a responsibility to share the gospel so that they might believe on the name of Jesus. And so, as followers of Jesus, we need to pray for divine appointments, divine opportunities. M maybe start your day as you're heading into the office, as you're headed to school or whatever your day consists of to pray and say, God, would you open an opportunity for me to have a gospel conversation with someone today? Would you put them in my path? Would you clear the distractions? Would you allow me to have that conversation? Maybe would you place someone in the path of while I'm sharing that, that the good news, while I'm having that conversation, maybe they'll tune in, maybe they'll overhear and maybe that you'll open the, so that you can open their hearts so that they might believe. Pray for those divine opportunities. But also, we have to be faithful to share the gospel. Once again, how will they believe if they do not know, if they're not told? We have to tell them. We have to open our mouths. We have to take that risk. We have to be willing to look foolish. We have to be willing to maybe be mocked. Because it's the good news that is the power, the gospel that is the power into salvation. It's not your presentation. It's not how well you do it. It's not that you're an expert. It's that you just know the gospel and you share the gospel. You share how God has transformed your life and you, bring the, you use that as a bridge to the good news of Jesus. But then pray that the Lord will open their hearts. That they will open their heart, that the Lord will open their hearts to be able to receive it and to believe like he did with Lydia. 
God, as you give me these opportunities or as you're having that conversation, because it's not like a, a, a sales deal where you've got to close it in, in the moment. I know some of you might have been taught that. I was taught that. Sometimes it's a long conversation. Sometimes it's, it's over building a relationship. Sometimes there's questions that have to be talked about and explored. And, and it's not just like you're going to close the deal in that moment. And, and so we need to pray that the Lord would open hearts as we do what we're responsible for doing in sharing the good news. The scripture tells us Lydia was a businesswoman. She was a dealer in purple cloth, which probably means she was successful, maybe even wealthy. And so this is who she is. This is one of the characters in this passage of Scripture, one of the people in which Christ um, has saved and is now a part of the church. Verse 15 says, after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. As a successful businesswoman, she had her priorities in order. I know the more that we get successful in things, oftentimes we make that our priority. We make that our pursuit. Maybe it's our career, our finances. Maybe it's um, something else in this world because the world will tell you to make those things a priority. Your finances, your career, your family, um, sports, travel sports have taken over like our nation and it's affected the church. I can talk to youth pastors. I can talk to pastors and, and it's, in, it's affected the church in so many ways because that's become a priority. And so the, the world will tell you to prioritize all of these different things. And yet we find Lydia, who's a successful businesswoman, prioritizing even at the moment in her faith, what she knew at the time, she was at this place um, on the Sabbath, praying, prioritizing her faith. Her faith was not a faith unto salvation at the moment, but she was prioritizing that. It was important to her, and it didn't change after she came to Christ. In fact, the Bible says as soon as she hears the gospel and the Lord's opened her heart, the first thing she does is obey God. She obeys the scripture, and she's baptized her and her entire household. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the first thing we're called to. It's the first mark of obedience. It's the first step of really faith in our faith in Christ is to trust by being baptized. And if you've never been baptized, we baptize at, on the last Sunday of every month. You can let me know after today. I don't know if the registration's up, but it'll be up um, by the end of today where you can go and, and sign up and register because faith moves us. Faith moves us into obedience. It moves us into following after Jesus. And that's one of the things we're called to do is be baptized. We see that with Lydia. She prioritized her faith in walking in obedience by being baptized. But then she then persuades Paul and Timothy to come stay at her house. A lot of um, Christian historians and theologians believe because it was because she wanted to be closer to them so they could teach her more of the Bible. Remember, she knew the law, but she didn't know, know the gospel. She didn't know the scriptures. And so she wanted to be taught the scriptures. She wanted to grow spiritually. And so chances are, here she is not only prioritizing her faith, but she's most likely um, the, the starting point of the Philippian church. The church probably started in her home. She's prioritizing Bible study, learning the scriptures, not only for herself, but for her family and for others. Come to my home. I, I want to be near the word. I want to be near the scripture. I, I want to learn these things. And so this is a lesson for all of us, that our faith should be a priority. 
put your faith first and trust God with your career. Put your faith first and trust that you're skilled enough in sports that you'll get that scholarship or your child will get that scholarship. Put your faith first and trust that God will provide the finances that you need to provide for your family. Your faith should come first. And so this shows us in Lydia the transformation of the gospel as well. Lydia isn't just a a bystander. She's not just a spectator. She's not just a seat warmer or a casual worshiper anymore. She's a participator. She she is a partner, as we will see in the scripture. She's opening her home. She's utilizing the gift of hospitality, housing. In fact, when Jesus sent out the disciples and the apostles um, before he went to the cross, um, he told them to take nothing. He, He told them to go by faith and to rely on other people to house them and to feed them. And that's what Lydia's doing in this moment. She's saying, come to my house, come stay with me. And then she persuaded them. That that sounds like she was a a businesswoman. She's a saleswoman. She's persuading them. She's selling them. She's convincing them. Maybe she's like, you know, like your child won't stop until she gets her way. I don't know. But the Bible says she persuaded us. That was her. And so we see this transformation. We see her opening her home and practicing hospitality. We see her prioritizing her spiritual family. That's the transformation of the gospel. She's investing in her own spiritual growth. She is one of the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. This is who he's writing to. We get to look in Acts 16 and we get to see one of the people that is the recipient of this letter and why he is writing in some of these ways, because these are intimate relationships. Paul and Timothy stayed at her house. The Bible doesn't say how long, but, but they stayed there. There was an intimacy there. So Philippians 1, 3 through 8 goes on, and it says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. This is how he's now speaking to these saints, speaking to these church leaders. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel." For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul greets them like he does because of this relationship that they share. He, he thanks God um, when he thinks about them. He, he th- as, he, as he thinks about them, as they come to remembrance, he, he gives thanksgiving to God. He has a grateful heart because of them. He prays for them with joy. It brings him joy to pray for them. He misses them, he says. There's distance between them. And so he has this affection, a Christ-like affection for them. And it causes him joy. It causes him to miss them. And I love this. This is a picture of really the relationships that should happen in the church. The love that is within the church for one another. 
that there's an affection, that there's a joy, that when we're apart, that we miss one another, that, that as we think of one another, there's no ill intention, there's no ill thoughts, but it's only positive and it's only um, thanking God for one another. I, I love this picture that Paul gives us for the church and, and really the, the relationships that he had with those in Philippi. Paul says they've been partners in the gospel from the first day. Well, we just saw the first day with Lydia. We just saw the beginning of the church. We just saw the first person to come to faith. And he says, from, the, from day one, you've been partners. You opened your home. You, you welcomed us in. You provided for us. You, 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 you made a way for us. He says, um, so from the beginning, they've been partners. That partnership was multifaceted. In chapter 4, we'll see that there was a, it included financial support, but it also included prayer and the proclamation and the defense of the gospel among other missional engagement. And so Lydia, the other person, if you go read Acts 16 this week, you'll see there was a demon-possessed girl that was freed from the gospel in this moment. The prison guard, you'll see, was a third person who had come to faith in Philippi and all of these were the first converts to start the Philippian church. They, they show us that there's a responsibility as members of the church. It's not just the pastors and the leaders. Oftentimes, that's our mentality. Oh, we pay them to do it, or they're in that position. They have that title. We have a role, but we are partners in the gospel. We are partners in the work, and we see this taking place in Philippi. The work and mission belong to all of us. We're all partners in the mission. We're all responsible for taking ownership. That's why at New Passion, you'll hear that word from time to time. It's not that people own the church. Christ is the head of the church, but we use the word owners because we're called to take ownership in the church. We're called to a great responsibility, not demanding our rights. I bought this chair. I did this, and I want my name on this room, or I want my name on this wing, or whatever. Some of y'all, you can put your name on the water pipe that busted this week, because that's going to be expensive. And so, <laughs> if you want your name on that, you know, it's, it's, already, it's already covered up with dirt. Um, there's a responsibility. It's not... I want this, or I should get this, or because I'm a member of this. That's, me. That's all about me. That's all about my rights. That's all about putting myself at the center of the church. It's like, no, 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 no. I belong to the family of God. Like, like I, deserve no, I deserve hell. I deserve death. I, des I deserve to be destroyed, and yet Christ has saved me. A sinner, a wretched sinner, I'm owed nothing, and yet he's adopted me as a son, as a co-heir with Christ. I was his enemy, and yet he, he sent Christ to, to die a brutal death on the cross for me, and that could have been it. He could have just said, look, your sins are forgiven. They're paid for, but that's it. Like we have no relationship. I am your God, and you will do as I say. You'll do as, I'm to as you're told. That could have been the relationship that we had, but that's not how he treated us. He adopted us as sons and as daughters, as children. He makes us family, and we feel that we're entitled to something. We feel that we can demand our own way. We feel that we can make ourselves the center of his church. No, 
We're called to take ownerships. We're called to humble ourselves. We're called to serve and to be a part of this family and to play a role. We get that privilege. We get that opportunity because we, we might not have been given that opportunity. We could have been lost in our sins. It's a privilege to be a part of the family of God. It's a privilege to be a part of the assembly and the gathering. And so we're called to take ownership in this gathering together. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the servants. It's us. That's why the letter's written to everyone. And he says, everyone from the beginning was a partner in the gospel, a partner in the work. And I wonder what your partnership looks like. Does it look like this? Like if we were in the day of Paul and Paul helped establish this church, could he write a letter and say, every one of us has, from the very beginning has been a partner, has been a partner in the gospel, not just financial, but in mutual service, in proclaiming the gospel, in defending the gospel, in defending the truth and standing up for what is right and what is true, because that's what's taking place here. And then in verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You can write this down. Jesus saves you and sanctifies you. Jesus saves you and sanctifies you. I love that about Acts 16, because we get to see how Christ has saved them. We get to see Lydia. We get to see the demon-possessed girl. We get to see the, the prison guard who was about to kill himself, and yet they, they save him because they don't leave the prison. They share the gospel with him, and he and his household are saved. We get to see the beginning. We get to see the salvation. And then the book of Philippians, this letter, shows us this sanctification that's taken place, this growth that they've stuck with it, that they're a part of the church. And yet this is a very important verse, verse 6. It's very popular. You've probably heard it multiple times. There are some who treat salvation as if God, the Lord, opened her heart. Like, he starts the work. He, he does the salvation. He opens the heart, only to hand the keys over to us and say, okay, it's now in your hands. I, I saved you, and now the rest is up to you. The sanctification's up to you. The, the spiritual growth is up to you. The becoming like Jesus is up to you. And you've tried that. See, Lydia could have been there because she knew the Mosaic law. She could have said, okay, I'm trusting Jesus. Now I can follow the law better. Now I can do a better job of following the Mosaic law. And that's not the case. Jesus not only saves us, but he also sanctifies us. Yes, we have a responsibility to obey Jesus and follow in his ways, but we're still powerless to change our hearts and to sanctify ourselves to become the, in the image and likeness of Jesus. Lydia feared God, but it didn't save her. She still needed the gospel. She still needed the gospel not only to save her, but to transform her, to make her like Jesus. Jesus makes us like Jesus. We walk in obedience with him, and as we do so, as we choose what is pure, as we choose what is right, as we walk in obedience faithfully, then the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms us. We look to Scripture, we see what it says, and we have the faith to obey. And as we obey, He transforms us. As we say yes to Jesus and yes to His Word, He uses that to change us and to transform us. But we can't do that on our own. He opens our heart, and then He also 
will continue the work and he completes the work until we stand before God. So if your mentality is that I got saved and now I've got to do all the work, you're going to fail and you're going to continue to fail and you're going to get frustrated because you're not going to get it right on your own. It's a faith walk. The Lord opens your heart. You, you are saved. You believe the gospel. And then you start studying his word. You start obeying his word. You daily yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, as you do those things, that's your role. That's your responsibility. He transforms you. He starts softening the heart where you struggled with anger, and now he takes that away. He, he takes those habits that you are struggling with, and he begins to remove those as you walk in obedience and as you trust him. It's a faith walk. It's, it's trusting him that he is the, has the power to transform us. It's the fruit of the Spirit that gives us self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit that gives us love. It's the fear, fruit of the Spirit that gives us gentleness, not you. Not, not you. You don't give yourself love and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. You don't give yourself that. All you have is the works of the flesh. What, 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 what Christ gives us is the Holy Spirit as a gift to help us. And it's through him that he gives us the fruits of the Spirit. The things that helps us have self-control. The things that help us to love like Christ loves to have that affection towards one another. Christ saves us, Jesus saves us, and he sanctifies us. Verse 9 through 11 as we close. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The last thing you can write down is this, and I love this when I read it, but you write this down. Christians need wise discernment. Christians need wise discernment. I love what his prayer and what his desire was for this church. He said, I, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. When I read that, I was like, if there's something we need in our day and time, it is that that we grow in knowledge and we grow in every kind of discernment. Why? So that you may approve of the things that are superior. I can't tell you how many times I've watched people choose that which is not the superior. It's lesser than, it's destructive. And this is Paul's concern for the church at Philippi that they would grow in their knowledge, that they would grow in their discernment. Why? So they could choose the superior. If I have a desire for you in 2023, it is, yes, to be courageous, but it's to be courageous to trust Christ. It's to be courageous to trust his word. It's to be courageous to grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Why? So you can be courageous enough to choose that which is superior, that which is superior to what this world has to offer you. Paul's prayer for these Christians was that their love would keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so they could approve of what is superior. Discernment helps us walk in obedience. And my desire for us, and I believe his desire for the church at Philippi, was that they have that discernment. Discernment for truth over error and over deception. The truth over lies. The truth, uh, discernment for your relationships. 
who you should marry, what you should do in your marriage when your marriage is struggling and not make the choice of the inferior, but you would choose the superior. You would choose to live out the gospel in your marriage. You would choose forgiveness. You would choose healing. You wouldn't just do what the world does and go throw your marriage away and, and, and throw it in the trash heap, but you would fight for it, and you would fight for your children, and you would fight for your home, that you would do what is superior. You would have discernment for what is right and what is holy, for those friendships, for those business partnerships, for what is pure, that you would have discernment for what honors and glorifies God, not just what feels good and what feels right and what makes you feel like you're in control, but what is honorable to God and what glorifies Him, that you would have that kind of discernment, the superior things. And that's my prayer for us. And that's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for you. That you would choose to be a partner in the gospel, that you would choose to obey Scripture even when it's hard. And you would allow Christ to move in you in such a way that you would grow in your love and in your, of, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and His Word, but also in discernment, every kind of discernment, so that you would choose what is superior. This helps us to begin Philippians. I pray and I hope that you will make it a priority to join us in this journey over the next several weeks as we look to God's word, because I believe there's transferable truths that we see from 2,000 years ago that we can apply in our own life, that we can apply as the church, because we are the assembly. We are the assembly that God has placed together. We are a family, and we matter. We matter to the city. We matter to one another. But most importantly, obviously, God felt we mattered in order to save us, to bring us together. He felt this gathering, this assembly, had an important role to play in the city of Augusta. And I pray that this year we would start and continue to fulfill it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the example of Lydia, the example of Paul, the example of Timothy, the example of these saints that made up the church at Philippi. God, my prayer is that we would just look to your word today and that we would choose to embrace the truth. We would apply that which applies to us, that we would see that the, the, the truth of your word does not change over time. And God, just like the church at Philippi, we're partners in the gospel. I pray that every one of us would see that we have a role to play, just like Lydia did, just like Paul and Timothy did, just like Epaphras did. Lord, would we, would we make a decision today? I'm not going to be just a spectator. I'm not just going to be a casual worshiper, but I am going to be a part of the family of God. I'm going to be a partner in this thing that Christ has saved me to belong to and to be a part of. And in so doing, that we as a body, that we as individuals would choose to be obedient, to walk in obedience. And as we walk in obedience, that you would help grow us and mature us in the knowledge of Jesus, in the knowledge of your word, and that you would give us discernment for that which is true and right and holy and pure. That you would give us discernment in our marriage and in our friendships. That you would give us discernment for business and for um, leading in, in the capacities that you have placed us in to lead. That, Lord, as we walk through this world, 
that we would represent Christ in a way that glorifies and honors you. Give us that discernment so that we might choose that which is superior. May we learn from the church of Philippi in this series. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.